on one hand, like we talk about like cannabis content and everyone thinks about cannabis content as like, like the Cheech and Chong buddy flicks and stuff like that. Cannabis has been involved in all great art, not just the ones that were like, oh, look, we got a bag of weed. We got to stop thinking that like, just because cannabis is a plot point that it's like, it's cannabis content. Like I argue all the time that like Black Mirror is cannabis content. Interstellar is cannabis content. They talk about being inside in between dimensions in that shit. Like, come on. If I'm stoned and we're talking about dimensions and like what could be out there and like what, whatever, like you got me. That's like, that's, that's part of whatever. So like all of these things are like ingrained in this thing. So like one, I don't see cannabis as like this unique new snowflake. These things have always been integrated in everything. It's just becoming easier and more legal to segment that way. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to another new episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, and I'm really excited to kick this episode off with highlighting a little bit of what is going on in Texas right now. We are currently in the middle of our legislative session in Texas. We vote on new laws every two years. And so in terms of cannabis law and cannabis reformation and just where it sits in our current legal program is really something that even I, who find myself super involved, have a lot of questions about. And so I would like to direct you to my last episode with Jax Finkel. She's with Texas Normal and the Foundation for Informed Texas, two really great organizations that help to educate and inform you if that is something that is of interest to you. And also wanted to highlight an episode I did with Alyssa Nolan of the Texas Hemp Coalition. She operates a nonprofit that is also designed to help educate kind of at that legal, political, state level. And so I'm just really grateful to have had these two great women who are doing a lot of work here in Texas on the podcast to help educate y'all, help educate me. And so if that's something that you're curious about, I do encourage you, whether you're in Texas or not, to pay attention to those kinds of conversations because I'm a big believer if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, I'm based in Texas, but my guests are from all over because I think it's really important for us to be paying attention to what's happening in other states. So if you don't know what's going on in Texas and you're kind of curious now, your ears perked up, I really hope you'll go tune into those episodes. But with that said, today's episode, which is why we're all here, is featuring a really cool cannabis publication. They've they've been around for a long time. You probably can guess who I'm going to be referencing, but um, I'm really pleased to share that I have the VP of content, John Capetta of High Times on the show today. And he was just such a fun guest. He shared so much knowledge and I'll kind of, you know, mention this 
to pay attention. He he comes from um, a very like, kind of like traditional marketing background, and it resonated with me because I do have a degree in marketing, and so I think that there's you know a lot to be said about traditional marketing, especially in cannabis, where there is so much red tape, and you have to kind of navigate around things. I think new marketing, like social media, digital things like that, sometimes can be overwhelming. And of course, High Times is originally a print publication. They now span so many other sectors of the industry. They're online. They create content. They have a TV channel. They now operate a few other publications under the High Times brand. And we talk about all of that. And John's role is really, you know, prime for kind of, you know, where is High Times going? Really, like, what's the direction? And it was just fun for me to learn about what they're up to and what his perspective is and what he sees and what he thinks, especially representing a California cannabis brand. You know, I think those brands really take branding seriously. So I'm not going to give away too much more of the episode. I want you guys to listen to the end. He shares a lot of knowledge. So without further ado, let's welcome John to the show. My name is John Capetta. I am the VP of content at High Times. I've been in this role for over three years now. I was around the brand a few years before, since the acquisition happened uh, a number of years back. At that time, I was working at an agency uh, that was kind of helping everyone from data companies to products um, kind of just communicate who they were to the marketplace. You know, I've always had an interest in tech and content. And like, you know, it's funny, not, uh, I don't even remember, maybe it was the last time I was home, but I had a conversation with my mom not too long ago where I brought up the fact that like, I, she definitely told me when I was a kid that I would never make money from spending all of my time on the computer and smoking weed and the things that I was interested in. And now all of my money comes from like basically being on a computer and smoking weed and, you know, being interested in this weird shit that like, you know, other people aren't necessarily as interested in. So I've always been kind of like a fake it till you make it type person. Like I just, you know, if there was something I was interested in, it was kind of like, how can I be adjacent or involved in it so that I can learn as much as possible and then contribute. So when I was very young, um, I learned very quickly that I wasn't, I was super into music, but I didn't, wasn't really musically talented. I played bass for a number of years and I still don't think I can keep time very well, but you know, which is like also important for a bassist. Um, So, you know, it's just certain things just aren't for you. Right. Um, but I was always super creative and I was always like interested in, in like breaking things apart and figuring out like how they worked. Right. And so from a very young age, I was like, literally like my friends were always in bands and I was in bands, but like they were always better than I, my bands were. <laughs> so like there, I was really like helping their bands get shows and like pretend that they were like a little bit more legit than they were. So that like people took them a little bit more seriously. Like if you have a manager people immediately assume you're a real act as opposed to like the basis, you're a guitarist fucking responding. So like from like the time I was like 13, 14 years old, like making fake record labels, I wasn't a poor kid or anything like that. Like my parents, like I never needed anything, but like the things that like I wanted, like if I wanted to go to concerts and stuff like that, like I either need to like get a job or figure out how to do it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have like my parents buying me everything. So I, pretty young realized like I could do marketing for record labels and like help them like reach the local community. And then they would give me free shit. You know what I mean? So like I would go to concerts that I didn't have access to. And like, when I was like 15 years old, I through a series of like, again, these just like kind of faking it till you make it like failing upwards. Um, I had like ended up getting connected with a bunch of like pretty successful. And like, I was young at this time, but like, 
pretty successful musicians who like, I just been around enough and like, they didn't really know how old I was. Like, so like, I don't think, you know, if they knew they were hanging out with, like a 15 year old kid, it probably would have been weirder. But like, you know, <laughs> different seemed, story. Yeah. Yeah. Seemed like I was a little bit older, but so like, I was always like around at shows and like, I was, this was when Warp Tour was still a thing. And like my first ever Warp Tour, I had a, uh, one of my best friends growing up, his dad was like something of a figurehead in the music industry. And uh, so he like, was super lavish, right? Like he took us literally in a limo. Like it was like so <laughs> stupid, not what Warp Tour is about by any means, but like, you know, we were kids. He wanted to see us have fun, you know, whatever. We'd never done anything like this before. The very next year I had gotten all access passes, like I, for all, me and all my friends, like, and like I was on stage watching Taking Back Sunday and with like, I don't even want to say his name because I don't want to make things weird, but like, a very notable person in the scene who I idolized. And he was like, let's go watch Taking Back Sunday on stage. And like, I was just like, it was one of those like, how did I get here moments? This is what could happen. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, if I just keep running things, you know, whatever. So I've always kind of like had that mentality. And then with cannabis, I always loved the plant. And again, I like didn't have money. So uh, from a very young age, it was kind of like, okay, I'll pick up more than I need, sell it to some other people. And then like, I'll get my stuff for like, at least cheaper. Cause like, honestly, I was never doing it well enough that like, I ever got my shit totally for free. Always <laughs> like all, you know, like the, the never get high on your own supply. Like all those like drug dealer, like things you're sp not supposed to do. I did all of those. I was terrible at it, yeah. but I was like, I was able to like, you know, manage my habit. Right. And so like from the time that I was, I was getting into college. I started, I went to SUNY New Paltz and which is a small state school in upstate New York. And, um, there's like the same kind of thing happening at the local venue every week. So me and my friends were just like, fuck it. Like, let's go to the venue and see if they'll give us a night to like fuck around. And like, so they did. And that spiraled into, it was a two story venue upstairs had live music downstairs, more like a club. Um, we ended up doing the upstairs and downstairs on Tuesday and Thursdays, like from my sophomore year through the rest of the time I was in college. Um, and like, you know, so things just started kind of like snowballing and actually turning into money as opposed to just, I'm getting all doing this stuff for free. It was like, okay, now there's cash going to my pocket that all escalated. I worked for Red Bull while I was in college and that was really cool because, um, I was a, what they call a student brand manager. So like I was exposed to a lot of like really high level marketing classes, pretty young from like my freshman year. And then also put in a lot of cool rooms. So when dubstep was kicking off, like nobody at Red Bull really knew what dubstep was. So like when dubstep people started approaching them, they were like, oh, talk to John. Like he probably knows what the shit's about. And I laid that up into doing the first show for this artist, Borgor, who ended up like being super massive, but he's this Israeli art DJ, never played in New York before. We brought him out for the first time. We got we almost got screwed every step of the way. I was out for so much money that I totally did not have if the shit like hit the fan and didn't go right. But by the grace of God, like literally it was a Wednesday night in December. Okay. Like no one does shows on Wednesday nights to begin with. December's cold as fuck. It was a blizzard. This was a 650 person venue. We literally ended up like, they literally had two security guards because they didn't expect anybody to show up. And it was like mostly walk up. I think we sold like a hundred tickets like in advance. And then 850 people showed up buying tickets at the door. Wow. So like more money than I'd ever seen in my life. All of a sudden I was like, okay, like I'm just going to, you know, I've always kind of been interested in like, like curating or like making people feel things. You know what I mean? Like I really like. Experiential. Yeah. I really like events because 
like, yes, you can do, and it only lives for a second, but like, if you could communicate a feeling, people can hold on to that forever. You know what I mean? And so like, that's kind of, that's kind of what I realized like we can do with events. Right. And so like, I, while I was in New York, um, up until I think like 2014, I was doing shows after I graduated school. I was in Manhattan, um, everywhere from Webster hall to like, you know, um, music hall, Williamsburg. Um, and you know, that was going really good for a while. Um, and then an opportunity came up that brought me out to LA and, um, you know, the music industry is great. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to talk shit on it by any means, but like, it's a little bit flakier than some other industries. Um, your checks don't always show up. People are hard. Yeah. They're just a lot of shices, you know, and, um, it's all good. You know, like everyone's got their thing and it all comes out in the wash. So, you know, like I, I believe in karma. I think if you fuck people over, like eventually it'll come back to you. So you don't know like bad feelings about the music industry or anything like that. But when I got to LA, there just started being a lot more tech opportunities. And so I was there for a while until high times came. And again, like I'm part of the reason I moved to California was because of the legal cannabis, uh, because like I was, you know, I was sick of living in the shadows and like, you know, I could get everything I wanted in New York, but like, you couldn't like be out there like that. You know what I mean? So like, right. Or have access to the different types of products that are available in legal states. Exactly. And so like, that's part of what got me to California in the first place. It was like, this is, you know, that's why the opportunity made so much sense, you know? Um, and then when high times came up, it was just one of those things that was like, listen, I like, when I was in college, like we didn't have Playboy centerfolds on our walls, like even in the frat houses, right? Like it was like, they were, they were high time centerfolds. Mm. It was like, we were a stoner school, you know? So being able to work with like, like this magazine is significantly older than I am. You know what I mean? There are people that still work at the company that are older than I've been, I've been around with the magazine longer than I've been alive. Oh, wow. Max, who's our, our art director is like, he's just one of my favorite people in the world because like he's got this like punk mentality that's just like how he grew up that like he never let go of part of what makes high times great. And I think part of what like really attracts people to brands and like, like even like Red Bull, right. Is that kind of like carefree. It's effortless. It's just a, it's the personality of it. Exactly. And so like that kind of thing is always interesting. And like this guy like embodies that. Right. And like, that's just what, what the magazine has always been to me, right? Like irreverent. Like we're just like, we believe in what we believe in and like we follow the rules we believe in. You know what I mean? Like if we don't, like if this is bullshit, like if something should be legal, we're going to talk about it and we're going to do it because like, fuck the feds. You know what I mean? Like on one hand, but on the other hand, it's also like, like, listen, so cannabis is also, yes, I love the plant, but like once you dig in and you start thinking about all of the things that are involved in this, like, on one hand, and this is like, these are two different like diatribes that I'm going to try and be very brief with. But like, on one hand, like we talk about like cannabis content and everyone thinks about cannabis content as like, like the Cheech and Chong buddy flicks and stuff like that. Cannabis has been involved in all great art, not just the ones that were like, oh, look, we got a bag of weed. We got to stop thinking that like, just because cannabis is a plot point that it's like, it's cannabis content. Like I argue all the time that like Black Mirror is cannabis content. Interstellar is cannabis content. They talk about being inside in between dimensions in that shit. Like, come on. If I'm stoned and we're talking about dimensions and like what could be out there and like what, whatever, like you got me. That's like, that's, that's part of whatever. So like all of these things are like ingrained in this thing. So like one, I don't see cannabis as like this unique new snowflake. These things have always been integrated in everything. It's just becoming easier and more legal to segment that way. And then the other side of the coin is like, (sighs) (laughs) 
Canvas is an identity crisis, right? Like nobody got into the game because they wanted to be legal, because they wanted to pay taxes, because they wanted to like lobby. But when you dig into all of the things that has been hurt by this plan, like I believe in plant medicine freedom because I don't think that the government should say or should be able to lock people up based on the, right. them altering their body count. You know what I mean? I know if things get violent, whatever, there are obviously, there's plenty of minutia that gives them just cause to lock people up. Doing drugs, possession should not be one of them. Now, when we think about the way that those drug laws have been used to harm, like specifically communities of color in their city communities, like, like already at-risk communities that was used as a tool of oppression, we need to stop that. Like, there's so many, and like, I call it like a scissor point. This is something, I don't even know if this is like commonly accepted verbiage, but like, I read a thing and I think it was like the New York Times about it, like fucking a couple of years ago when stuff was going on with Trump and like how some of these points, like, they're just so, like when you see an image or you think of something, like you have so many beliefs that are ingrained in your positioning that people who don't see it the same way as you it's almost offensive because like there are so many reasons why you believe this thing, right? Like people who disliked Trump and not that like, you know, he's out of office. We don't have to like really talk about him anymore, but like there was a lot of reasons that people disliked Trump. It wasn't just, Oh, they thought he was a shitty president. Like he said tons of offensive things. He was a womanizer. He seen, he said things that even if you don't want to say he's racist, he didn't condemn racism. There were a lot of like, so if you were stuck, were staunchly opposed to him, if people didn't see that same mentality, it was almost like you were staunchly opposed to them and their beliefs. So that's kind of like what a scissor point is. And I try and be like, lack the days or not, I don't want to say lack the days, that's not the right word, but like a little bit carefree with other people's feelings about things, right? Like if, if it doesn't affect me, right? But like, if you don't believe fundamentally that this plant should be accessible, not necessarily from the reason of, hey, people want to just consume it, but for medicine yeah. or just so that it stops harming the communities that like the war on drugs has harmed. I don't know that I understand why, like how you could feel that way. You know what I mean? And like, that's, that's one of those things that like, as I get further into, you know, working with high times and, and in the industry, there are just so many things that are so many reasons why things should be headed this direction that when people are still opposed to it, it's like, well, you must be gaining from this. You must see, you must support private prisons if you want, you know, all of these people to be locked up. You must support institutional racism if you want stop and frisk to continue to exist. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like so it becomes one of these things where it, to me, it seems so apparent and clear why these laws need to change, why this plant should be free, that like anything I can do to make that light brighter or to, you know, break down the, the argument or conversation a little bit into piecemeal so that people could understand it at a different level or make metaphors so that we can, you know, look at it from a different perspective without having to feel so ingrained into whatever positions we're already stuck in. You know what I mean? Like if someone said tomorrow, hey, we're going to illegalize corn, you know what I mean? And like everyone who's selling corn or putting high fructose corn syrup and shit, we're going to put them in jail. Like, I bet you'd have a lot of problems with that, but that's because like you're ingrained in thinking like this is a way that you make money, whatever. So it's also like when we talk about legalization, 
we're not talking, and this is something that I got from Ed Rosenthal, who's you know been writing High Times Forever, but we're not talking about legalization, like legalizing tomatoes. You know right. what I mean? Like this is going to be a control, like tobacco. At best, we're going to have a, a, a lesser controlled substance. You know what I mean? But we're not ever going to have the total freedom of this plant that she deserves. Absolutely, the same yeah. way we're probably not going to have much mush- like freedom of mushrooms for a long time even though we see all of the ways that it can help us because there are so many things pushing against like, like big pharma is a perfect example, right? Big pharma doesn't want to cure you of your depression. They want to keep you on fucking medication so that you're paying them every month. You know what I mean? So why would they want you to know about mushrooms and plant medicine that could actually rewire your system and get you to a place where like you can find happiness naturally. You can like, you don't need to worry about ADD because like you're like, you can find your attention as you actually need it. You know what I mean? You are hitting all the notes. I like will interject and say one, I feel like you and I had very similar upbringings in the sense of just being super scrappy, especially in the music industry. Austin is the quote unquote live music capital of the world. And I started, I'm a content creator myself on a much different scale than you, but became passionate about it because I was in live music. I figured if you had a freaking website and a business card, you could go really far. And I used to interview bands and I didn't really do anything with the content regrettably at that time, but it definitely helped open my door and my eyes to opportunities of all you got to do is just kind of put some content together, look a little professional, show up and ask the right fucking questions. And You'd be pretty surprised. Have you heard of Live for Live Music? I haven't. Okay, so these guys, so this is, was started by one of my best friends, Kid Kunsha. Um, we went to high school together, known him for you know decades at this point. And I don't mean this offensively. I, I love everything they've done. But I want to, like, he literally, like, that, like, music enterprise, music media enterprise started because he wanted to follow Fish on tour. You know what I mean? And it was like, like a, a tour blog. And they just kept pushing and kept getting in rooms and kept like being on the scene. And he like, he manages acts now. Like he's like created an insanely impressive career out of like being around and knowing what's going on. You know what I mean? And like, it's a, it's a perfect example of like, I don't want to say fake it till you make it. Cause like he like, he was really doing it from, you know, from the beginning. Well, he's learning and educating himself, but I see it's like if you just keep showing up and you keep being a familiar face and you just keep asking questions, somebody's bound to say yes. It's interesting, kind of on that thread, I for some reason was driving and thought this particular thought, cannabis as an industry, despite all the buzz and acclaim that obviously it's getting, especially in mainstream media, is is a relatively small industry. I'm finding pockets of... By, especially by having this podcast, connecting with people in Colorado, you're realizing oh, the Colorado people obviously all know each other. You're connecting with people in California, oh, realizing all the California people know each other. And then I'm starting to draw some, you know, dots around, oh, these people in California know these people in the Pacific Northwest. And there's definitely players that are popping up, though, that it's just very, I say it to say, yeah, it can be daunting and overwhelming to try to figure out where's my place in this whole conversation. But I think that there are ways to push through that content chaotic of just showing up and, and just paying attention to kind of who's communicating and just joining in the conversation. Really? That's the big thing. So that's one of the things that we talk about on clubhouse all the time is all these people. Um, hey, you're huge on clubhouse. <laughs> um, well, so honestly, one of the things about clubhouse that I think, and the reason why it's working for me is because I don't like to keep the conversation on me. Um, I like to, you know, pass the buck. And I think that like, 
there's a need on there right now for good curation because there's a lot of people who are just kind of who are saying they do a lot and don't. Um, I personally, like if I didn't know of what you were doing before I see you on Clubhouse, I'm immediately suspect until I can prove that you're actually doing what you're saying. So there's that, but it's also like, there's a lot of people who are just like, who are hungry, who see the space, who want to get involved, right? But like, again, like I said, with Live for Life music, like you got to be there. It's not as much to just say, oh, I'm interested in this. Oh, I'm going to watch these shows. Like for sure. how can you make yourself helpful to these people? Because like the, everyone, we are a small industry. Everyone needs help no matter from if they're a media company or a grower, right? And like these growers, like especially the best ones, they want to share their knowledge. Yeah, a lot of this do. stuff, can, it was their blood, sweat and tears that like that taught them this shit, you know? And so to, if they got someone who's actually interested, they want them to like understand how to get the best out of this plant. Because like to tap on your thing, it is very secular, especially in this industry, because like the people that have been around for a long time, the people that have been going to the events that have been part of the community, again, that have been around, that have been on the scene, they want, they support each other. They lock arms tightly because there's this whole new school of like big money that's coming in with legalization that doesn't give a fuck about the plant. They're just trying to hit scale. They think, oh, this money, this plant's going to bring us dollar signs. They don't give a fuck about growing craft cannabis or whatever. They just want to have, you know, things to sell to investors. And like, the, that's okay. Walmart will exist in cannabis. Like, that's the thing these people don't realize is like, it's easy to make a sale. It's hard to maintain a customer. In an industry that's so authenticity based around a plant that's so hard to cultivate, right? Like it's not hard to grow weed at a, at the base level you can put in Texas right now, throw some seeds in the ground. They will grow. It's not going to be something you're super stoked on growing if you don't care about it or uh, smoking, if you don't care about it, but it's a weed, the shit, like, that's why they call it that the shit will just fucking grow. There are people like, there are all these old heads who like used to grow, go around. They probably still doing it. Who would like plant seeds at like national monuments and stuff like that. Just because they wanted fucking weed plants to grow over. And like Johnny Appleseed and me fucking loves that. Like plant them everywhere. There's this brand half lit that makes um, these lollipops that like inside the lollipop stick, there are seeds. So when you're done with it, like you put, you just plant the stick and like a little plants will grow out of it. Love that shit. Let's beautify the planet. You know what I mean? All about those things. But like, we also have to recognize that like, to do it well, to get the kind of shit that commands the hype. Like people look at cookies and they see, oh my God, those guys are selling so much money in merchandise. Like, I don't know if they think it's because they think they have a cool logo or just because kids want to wear it because Burner says it. But like what makes cookies special, their top of the pyramid is this fucking small amount of really, really dope weed. And say what you will about their expansion in other states. In California, where they're based, the folklore is built around this indoor weed that is amazing. Then they have a shitload because they can't meet this demand with that the supply of the indoor. They grow a ton of outdoor. That's like the second level, level of the pyramid. But all the kids that can't access that second level of the pyramid that are trying to get the clout from that top of the pyramid, they're buying the merchandise. In Texas, in New York, in Miami, in fucking Zoomies, because that's the like that that's their fucking distribution. And those kids are buying the merch, not because they like the logo, not because Burner told them to, because they want their friends to think they're smoking this piff. And like, if we're honest with ourselves, that piff, that like the those beautiful nugs, that 
like is not easy to do. It's not easy to create that folklore around. So if like you like some of the states where cookies is picking up, if they're not coming correct with the flour, this the, the store's not doing that well. And like everyone's like, oh well, why? It's cookies. It's cook. Well, because we have not achieved the kind of consistency in our industry. We probably never will that'll make us like tobacco or alcohol. A bottle of vodka is not always, or our bottle of vodka is not always going to be the same flavor. It's not always going to be the same strain. And because of that, people are, are, are malleable. You know what I mean? They'll move to the brand. They'll move to the strain. They'll move to what they think is the hot thing right now. We see it in LA all the time. The hype shit kills it out here. People love, people spend crazy money for silly amounts a week, $250 for like a, a fucking a quarter of something that's like super fire. Yeah, limited edition, some brand partnership exactly. collaboration. But so I observe that about California, but I, for better or worse, other markets, I don't know if it's because the market hasn't existed and it's just time will bring it. Well, that's what it is. It's because California has had so long to navel gaze on this plant that the people that are really into it know what they like. They know what they dislike. Like, like you have brands like Originals who only care about growing OGs because in their head, or not even in their head. It's I believe this, but just like in branded words, who's the founder, he believes that once you get like once your palate refines, this is where you're gonna end up. OG has the flavor profile for the cannabis connoisseur. And they bet their whole business on it and it's working. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. There are definitely a lot more legacy brands in California because I do think that you have the consumer who is, to your point, I love that navel gazing of just, I, look, I've been doing this for so long. I just want it the way I want it and I want to know that it's good. But kind of in that same vein, I think it's a little laughable. I mean, obviously, businesses like Leafly and High Times, just through content, everybody's trying to disrupt the conversation. But you know, I'll get asked, what's your favorite strain? And I think it's such a laughable question because the variation of state to state, farmer to farmer, indoor versus outdoor, it cannot produce the consistency of these genetics. And so it's a little fascinating to observe how states like California are kind of ignoring that. What's your kind of necessarily like OG go-to flavor and trying to push more of the branded hype? Well, so the branded hype is more built around like the farmers and the cultivators. So the reason why connected and alien labs are so huge is because if you open something in an alien labs jar, like that shit is going to impress you every single time. No matter you know what, what it is. is, no matter what it is. So like, that's kind of like, like the, the reason again, cookies develop this, you know, this prestige and Sherbinsky's and alien labs and all these guys, the reason why people are buying their merch is because the flower in it is so dope. But if you take, uh, and, and OG is a very specific, like fickle plant, but even gelatos, right? Like if you take a gelato and you grow that same plant or take those same genetics and run it through each different cultivator, you're going to get different results. Yeah. So at the end, it's less about what cultivars you like the best and more about what growers Who's and things growing, like that. What is their technique? Exactly. What are, where do they? The problem with that, that though 
is the race to scale. It's not just one grower at a brand. And most brands don't even have their own grower. They're just going out and like white labeling stuff. So like there's tons of, and like, listen, the brands that like I really love and like will always support like a brand like Fig Farms, for example, I know the farmer, I know Keith or his wife are going to look at every flower. I know that they're in there singing to those buds. I know they're like, their process is being followed for everything that they put their name on. Other brands are not like that, but other brands don't care to be like that, right? If you look at brands like a, a brand, and I don't, I'm not trying to talk shit and say that these guys don't care, but if you look at a brand like Kaliva, they're vertically integrated. They care about scale. They care about getting as many consumers into their ecosystem. So Jay-Z deal makes a lot more sense to a brand like them because like, you know, you look at like Jay-Z's um, champagne, like Ace of Spades. That's not for champagne connoisseurs. That's for people who can afford the status symbol. What they're going to do at Kaliva or, or Monogram is create that database of these are the people who will spend a G every time they want to buy weed and buy it just because it's in Jay-Z's packaging or whatever. And they just have to keep hitting that same well. They don't have to work for everybody, right? They just have to find their niche and, and sell to it. The same way a lot of the people who are like looking at like trying to capture the housewife or like, you know, like the new, the elder consumer, like... I appreciate that. And I think that we should, in an effort to, to make our shit approachable, we should all be trying to reach more people than just who we're reaching today. But I also think that like not, we need to cater to the daily driver that's going to keep us in business and then figure out how we turn the housewife onto it. Because the same way that like, you know, the term pinkwashing? No, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, so pinkwashing is an old industry term. And like, obviously things have changed now with Coleman. But like back in the day when like traditionally male focused brands wanted to try and sell things to women, like if you had a power drill, you'd paint it pink. Sure, got it. And then you, so that was a very expensive lesson that all these guys learned did not fucking work. If a woman needed a power drill, she'll buy the yellow one. She doesn't need to be pink. And she's certainly not going to pay more for it to be pink. You know what I mean? Cannabis hasn't learned a lot of those lessons because they're, because a lot of these guys don't have MBAs. And I say that with love, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they are experts in their field, but because they don't know the things that they don't know, it's going to hurt them as more competitors like Jay-Z with and his billion dollar right. marketing machine enter the space. Now, there are people like Canaquake, who Torin, who runs Canaquake. I love this kid. When I when he first heard about uh, Jay Z, his first thing is like, my competition is Jay Z now. Like I'm like I'm in business competing against Jay Z. Like that's fucking dope. And like it lifts his bar higher. It makes right. him like look at what they're doing that he can do better or, or emulate or whatever. And like it, it, it'll make him stronger in the long run to compete with this guy because this guy's employing all these practices that he doesn't know anything about while he knows all of these things that those guys know nothing about and don't even care about. Right. So it's like, if you apply the best practices with a better product, you should have a fucking, that should be a cheat code. Right. So like the industry, and again, a lot of these people, especially those who've like lost time or loved ones to this space, it sucks when people who have no skin in the game before just money to kind of come in and take over seem like they're going to come in and take over. And especially, and like, this is actually the thing I tell like trappers right now all the time. And like, 
please forgive me feds. I'm not um, encouraging anyone to traffic over state lines or anything like that. But um, I, if you were in the game right now and you're operating in a traditional market, I wouldn't go legal yet. I would wait. Like people are spending so much money just trying to stay in business. Like, fuck that. I'm going to wait till they figure all their shit out. And like, again, I have no skin in the game. I'm not selling weed currently, you know, whatever. But like, if you've been operating under the radar, like all you're doing is giving money to the government to not help you right now. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't even have their shit together. No, you're, you're saying things that I've observed, obviously not being from California or doing business in California, but using California as kind of a poster child. And I talk to a lot of businesses and brands in California just through this podcast too. And everybody kind of shares the same sentiment. It's like, for better or worse, it's going mainstream, obviously, too. I think High Times has played a huge role in that. It's, you know, gone from counterculture, this behind the scenes kind of, you know, thing you used to sneak to do is now, like you acknowledged, corporations are getting involved. Jay-Z's slapping his name on it. It's something cool that you can market and brand and sell, but obviously the the industry to play in it hasn't quite matured yet. And so we're kind of stuck dealing with some of the way that the laws have placed things in a very compromising position for people in the industry who, like you acknowledge, you know, you've been in it for a while. You're a grower. You truly care about cultivating the plant, but maybe you don't have the finances to go actually invest in doing the marketing rollout that some of these bigger corporations can do. And then it's like, where does it sit in the, you know, narrative of the more mainstream it goes, the more people are finding out about it, the more hopefully decriminalized and accessible the plant becomes. It's not even solely controllable by those brands though. Cause so like some of these guys that could be turning a profit all of a sudden, then they decide, Oh, we're going to change the child packaging restrictions. It's the regulations. It's the, the taxes, it's the licensing. I mean, California, I hear it's obviously really difficult you gotta get a license. It's probably not intentionally this, but it's them stifling the little guy in favor of the big guy who can afford it. I do believe that a lot of the people who've kind of been shook out of the industry the last couple of years will be back once things kind of level set. Um, I also believe that like federal uh, like legislation or legalization um, isn't going to come until the states have shit more figured out. There's just too many questions and too much open. Like, here's a perfect example. All the no smoking laws and like no smoking indoors laws, none of those say no smoking cigarettes. They just say no smoking. So how are we going to have smoking sections? Like, or how are we going to have, you know, uh, like smoking lounges or anything like that? Like, and then you add into the fact that like, not only is people getting intoxicated, but they're combusting things. So are we only going to allow vaporizing? Like that sounds fucking stupid. Um, There's like, there's just so many, like, again, when these people, especially like with the BCC, like they didn't realize how many things they were going to come up against because of the way things were written and because of like the, the not easy answers to there are to a lot of these questions. So I like to tell people we're still behind the starting line. Like this is like the fed, the starting line, the starting gun will be the federal legalization, whatever happens when that happens, we will see like people talk about like the billion dollar investments from Altria and things like that. Like it's going to be $200 billion that day. It's going to be a windfall of cash. It's going to like that. If we don't hold on and if we don't like to the point I was saying earlier about like the OG is like kind of locking arms. If we don't do things like that and we don't band together, we are going to get swept out. So it's one of those things where a, again, I I tell people like, and not that I would ever cite who I'm talking to any of these people are, but like the trappers that I'm friends with, like bury your fucking money. Like don't let anyone know you got it. Wait, 
just sit on it and keep doing you, whatever your fucking thing is. Obviously be careful, make sure no one's whatever, but like, right. Don't get caught. Exactly. But like, but here's the thing, the next five years of enforcement of these type of things is not sending people to jail. It's tax evasion. It's them coming to you and being like, Hey, you owe us a fuck ton of money, bro. How are you going to pay for it? You got check, debit, cash. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the kind of thing that these guys need to really be worried about. Um, that said, I think this, I would say the same thing to the crypto buying community. You know what I mean? I would say the same thing to a lot of these guys that are playing around with NFTs. I think a lot of this stuff that seems like the wild West right now really is, but when they figure the shit out, they're going to be retroactive with it. So they're going to be like, oh, okay, like you've been doing this since legalization happened. Well, we think you sold 300 pounds a month, even if you only sold three. And you better fucking pay or they're going to come after you. And if you want to stay in business, you got to do it. Exactly. It's not even if you want to stay in business, like you just owe them. Like this is just, yeah, it's true. You just shut you down and you owe us this money. Let me ask you this. Do you see California getting better? in the cannabis laws and the regulations? I mean, cause it's pretty bad is, so is it getting better? I do think California is leading the way. I mean, listen, I, there are certain States like, like Oklahoma, for example, like I really love how Oklahoma is legalizing. Like their medical laws say that anywhere you can smoke a cigarette, if you're a medical patient, you could smoke a joint like that. They're very progressive. Yeah. That's real or, or not real, but st- inching towards real freedom. You know what I mean? I, don't expect that to happen most places. Um, and I think that like, listen, a lot of the reason why things are still held up is like the same reason why, like they don't, they don't have a way to tell if you're high while you're driving. Right. So like, that's going to be something when they figure it out. And like, we've already seen a ton of disasters with that. Right. Like what they did in Colorado when they tried to say like, Oh, if you have like, I think it was like 0.2 micrograms or 0.02 micrograms, something like that in your system. But if you're a regular consumer, you might have one microgram in your system at a resting rate. You know what I mean? When you're totally sober. So getting there is going to be difficult, but I think that's probably where we're going to like, that's the next frontier of criminal issues. You know what I mean? But in terms of like become like like better businesses, like listen, like all of these guys, all the guys that are growing scale weed or whatever, like they're learning that they need to get better products. I think it's the, the natural learning curve. And like California, because again, we've been, you know, inside baseball on this shit for so long. Um, there's a lot more for us to get specific about. Like, but then there's also things that like we're not even like talking about on a state level, like terpene like uh listing. Um, that like states like Nevada are already doing. So again, I would like to see a standard created where, you know, somebody and like some agency, I should say, sets the, this is what we believe are the safest terms or like safest things for cannabis legalization. This is what we believe everyone should test for. This is what we believe everyone should list on their packaging, whatever. And like create some sort of national standard for that. Like, I think that's, you know, kind of what's necessary to make the industry level up because like if you tell people hey you have to get more expensive tests like they're not going to you know what i mean but like also like as a business owner like i understand that you know what i mean i understand that like you don't want to take on extra expenses because you know just because you know what i mean but there's also like again like people that like really put a shit ton of effort into their branding and their packaging and like whatever like there's something that comes with that as opposed to just opening up a random jar that just has some bullshit label on it. At the end of the day, the 
flour inside is the most important. And if you don't have amazing flour, then like it doesn't matter how great your branding is. But I think no matter what state of the industry you're in, even the highest guys, like there's room to grow significantly. And I don't mean that just in terms of like, um, like actually making more plants or products or SKUs or anything like that, but like actually understanding their brand persona, understanding who their target consumers are and really speaking for those people as opposed to just, you know, hoping, Hey, people are going to buy this shit. What makes your shit special? Because if it's just the same genetics and the same, whatever, like respectfully, you're not moving the needle. You know what I mean? You're just participating and that's great. I think there's room for everyone. I want everyone to eat. You know what I mean? I'm not like, I have, I think that again, not mad at Walmart, not mad at MedMen. They will exist. There are plenty of people out there who will never care as much about what they're consuming as I do. That said, I know there's a fuck ton of people out there, and I'm sorry I'm cursing so much, but I know curse there's a, away. <laughs> I know there's a ton of people out there like me who care about these things, you know, like who care about the quality of the flower, who want to see the best, and who want to like see the brands of this space act and grow like real brands. And I mean that on both sides. I mean, like, I believe that they should have the opportunities to advertise and to reach new consumers that everyone else does. Like drop shipping is now the easiest fucking thing in the world. The fact that that, like cannabis brands can't access a lot of those advertising programs and just set up like drop shipping campaigns is like, doesn't make sense. Even just the ease of getting online. I know we were kind of mentioning, you know, that before we started recording, but my background is in technology and e-commerce and platforms and knowing your background in technology too, I'm sure you just witness and can agree. It's so crazy. These systems. Hey, I have friends who are like, oh, you need to be online. Just go use PayPal. Just be on Shopify. Just go set up your website, Squarespace. I'm laughing. Like you, you don't understand the complexities of actually selling this plant on the internet. I also come from the school of like, we had to be shady about this stuff. You know what I mean? Like if if we were ever like even Silk Road days, you know what I mean? Like if you were selling this shit, like you had to like, you wanted to drop breadcrumbs. You didn't want to be like, here's my fucking weed. You know what I mean? Our consumer used to go into alleys to buy their fucking products. And now they can go into like candy stores and buy gummy bears and fucking and vape pens and shit to like hide. So you could smoke weed on an airplane. Like, that's fucking awesome. But like, we also all remember where we came from. And like, even the kids, like even like the kids that are just coming of age, right? Like we doesn't have that same coolness anymore. Yeah. The nostalgia about it. But because of all that, like, so when I came to high times, like Facebook wasn't letting us advertise our cannabis cups. Right. So I was like, well, fuck it. What if we just take the weed leaves out and change it from cannabis to counterculture and try that. And we did. And they fucking took our money because here's the thing. They want the money. They want to, they want you to advertise the platform. They're worried about protecting the kids and shit like that. So if you work with the platform and I obviously not with the platform, but like, don't see as a roadblock, you look at how you can navigate it better given the parameters. Exactly. How can you, okay. So like everything that high times does on Instagram, for example, is basically a violation of terms and service. We're not selling shit, but like, any cannabis post, but like they don't care when we post bud porn because they know we're not selling weed. What they start to get pissed off at is when they think there's money on the table that you're not cutting them in on. So if you say things like deal or buy now or on sale, the algorithm can pick that up. It doesn't need a human to go and whatever. 
if you get if you pass the algorithm, you're most likely because there's so many posts that are going right. up there every second. You're most likely not going to see a human who's going to be like, oh, wait, they're fucking selling weed here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, that's why we tell all our clients all the time, like lead with storytelling, yeah. right? Like, like again, like, so for your business, like you're a fe- you're female owned, you're a your family owned business, right? You said it's yeah. your sister. My sister's Okay. Mine. So yeah. So like, okay, perfect. So that's that right there. Like that's your story. Like how did your, you and your sisters like end up here, right? Like that alone is an advertising campaign and you want people to like, want to know more about you and your sisters or more about whatever. Like you don't even need to tell them that you're selling this shit. You just tell them like, Oh, right. we're, we're some girls that are fucking, that are, are making some shit happen with hemp. Right. And like, why we whatever. let them be like, Oh, these girls look dope. I want to see what they're into and fo- and like drop some breadcrumbs and let them follow. That's good advertising. No matter what you're at. Totally. Right. Like storytelling. That's like storytelling. A, that's, exactly. But that's like, again, when I say that the things that they don't know, it comes back to pink washing, right? Like there are so many lessons that other major industries have learned Absolutely. that this industry just hadn't had to, because it's always been a commodity that kind of sold itself right? Especially if it was good. Now that we're in a time where like, especially the stuff that's really good now needs to have best in class marketing and set itself apart. Like, again, I know it makes people mad, like Jay-Z's in the industry, but like, have you seen his packaging? Right. Shit right. is beautiful. Maybe you can take a page out of that book. Yeah. I'm not saying pay anywhere near as much as he does, but like, maybe there's something, maybe his reimagining of the container is something that you can utilize. You know what I mean? Like take lessons from other industries that are better at things. Like look at like P and G P and G is the part, like, what is P and G doing to sell their shit? And how can we emulate that? You know what I mean? Those guys sell more fucking toothbrushes than God's has clouds, right? Okay. How do we, how do we emulate the toothbrush business? Cause they seem to be doing pretty well. From your mouth to God's ears, it's the fucking truth. I seriously, I couldn't agree with you more. It's like basic marketing kind of 101. But for whatever reason, this industry has such a hard time getting over the, well, I can't play in this space. So I'm paralyzed. What do I do? And there's definitely people too who are taking advantage of it. I mean, especially watching like these new markets emerge. You have people who, oh my God, they're selling consumers it's obviously unregulated, but they're taking advantage of the unregulation. And as a true marketer, that's where my stomach aches. I'm like, you're literally selling people snake oil. I look at these grocery stores that have opened up to sell even CBD oil. It's like, there's actually no active cannabinoids in the product, but because you're a big brand, you have a label, you made it into a grocery store, you've conned somebody. Now a consumer could be duped. So basically what people are doing is because, because if you take the THC content and make it all Delta eight or Delta nine, you can either get a heady or a um, body effect from taking CBD. So people are now trying to exploit the loophole and putting straight D nine or D eight distillate into their products and trying to sell the shit online. I can't imagine the shit's going to be around for more than like six to maybe 12 more months before like somebody figures out this loophole, but like, I also can't really be mad at the guys for like trying to exploit the loophole. Cause like, you know, fake if you make it, but like what I can be mad at is all of the guys who are using like CBD and these things as marketing terms and not actually putting quality medicine in their products. Yes. A hundred percent. Consumer reports even did a thing on this where they like pulled like 10 brands and like, Oh, seven out of 10 didn't even have any, any cannabinoids at a all. A lot are really you know? big names in the CBD industry, though, that's the scary thing I'm observing on the hemp and CBD side is you can kind of get away with anything. And I think especially with these emerging cannabinoids, like you highlighted with Delta 8 in particular, I'm seeing a lot of people enter the market, do like a flash sale, make a bunch of products, sell it quickly. 
you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't actually what the product is supposed to be. And then whether they had a good or a bad experience, it's leaving them with, you know, that experience. They're the consumer. I'm going to be honest. I don't envy you being in the CBD business because there is so much snake oil in the space, but like there are tons of bad actors who are just like literally skinning new products every day. They're the same company. They know they don't work. They sell them as this one day. Then they make a new fucking brand the next day. And like, they just keep getting the one time pop and that's enough to keep them fucking running. So, well, that's where I see branding being obviously a key, having that storytelling opportunity, being able to differentiate yourself Also, I don't envy us either, and I would not get into retail cannabis sales necessarily. I love branding. Branding is my passion. I think that's what's come through, especially building our brand. But yeah, when we got in the industry, I mean, further a little bit about our story, I'm a cannabis consumer for the last 15 years of my life, love high THC, was in a car accident six years ago, hit by a vehicle as a pedestrian, fractured my pelvis in two places and had a broken sacrum. And thank the Lord, my mother is very open-minded to my cannabis consumption Six years ago, there was no CBD market. There was nobody selling. There was nobody educating. And especially being a a heavy, you know, pot consumer, I didn't know what the fucking endocannabinoid system was or, you know, CBD versus THC. So my mom tells me, hey, do you know what CBD is? And I'm thinking, I Google it. You're fucking crazy, dude. Like, yeah, I smoke enough. I'm getting it every day. Probably not realizing, especially in a black market situation, you're not really going to have access to products in higher CBD percentages or ratios even. And so for us, it really was a I love this plant. I got exposed to it from a personal, you know, kind of trauma injury perspective. Uh, Saw an opportunity to kind of tell a story in a scenario where nobody was talking about it in central Texas. And we leaned into it. It wasn't my, I'm going to make a CBD brand. It was, I love cannabis and people are asking me questions. Oh, now I can start to come forward and talk about this thing I love. And then I ended up getting laid off of my full-time job that basically gave me more comfortability to say, well, what do I have to lose to talk about cannabis publicly? Because I'm sure, you know, you can relate and understand. And I have a lot of customers who share the sense and a lot of people I know in the industry, the point from which you wanted to obviously be passionate and advocate for the plant publicly, but you had limitations. You didn't, know how much you could lean into it. And now I just pulled the ripcord. I'm like, let's talk about it all day, every day. So part of the reason why I was comfortable coming to high times is because I've always been the weed guy, like even back in the days at Red Bull. Um, like I, I went to a stoner school, like everyone, like when I was in high school, like it was just like, that was, I've always really like, I mean, when I was like nine years old, I was watching Cheech and Chong movies. So like, I like, I've, I've just always like loved this culture. Um, and like, like how high, like all that shit. So. Um, by the time that I was like, I was going to go and like, honestly, like this isn't the first cannabis project that came up, but it was the first one that I accepted. Um, because I was like, for a while I was like, Oh, how am I going to tell my mom that I'm actually making money in cannabis or like making money from cannabis? So like, that was like a, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I could do this one. I don't know. I don't know if I could do that one. Not because like, again, like my mom doesn't fucking support me or anything like that, but like, you know, it's one of those, like, I still don't have any tattoos because she begged me not to when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those things that like, I was like for a long time, like I was always out of the cannabis closet. And I didn't realize till later, but like, I remember like the first time I was at a concert when I was like maybe 12 or 11 years old and like remembering or like seeing someone smoking and like remembering that smell and being like, oh, like that's what my uncle's smell garage smells like. You know what I mean? Um, And that was like back in the day when it was like real like peppery, like spicy weed. You know what I mean? Like, oh, fuck, I wish I could get some of that. 
I learned young because I've always been this guy that like executives always kind of like weed. You know what I mean? Like they might not be super open about it, but they love to like behind closed doors be like, yo, get me some. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like from the time, like, like when I was like literally like in college and like with Red Bull, like, and I don't want to blow up anyone's spot, but like, let's just say h- higher ups regularly were like, yo, like, like score for me. You know what I mean? Um, so I kind of realized that like I can play this role and be like, I always called it more like the culture kid, but like, it was like, it's the weed guy, right? Like I was like, I was the one who always, whenever people wanted to get lit, whenever they wanted to know about like new music, new art, new whatever. You were their connect. Yeah. But so like, so that was, but it was always comfortable, right? Because then I had like carte blanche to like go do and explore all this other cool shit. A lot of times on people's, other people's dime, like there were plenty of jobs, like, people were real actually paying me to go and explore and understand other people's things so that I can digest it for them. And like, honestly, that's, that's actually how I got like my Instagram account got so big was because like people were trying to figure out how to like become an influencer. So I, they gave me six months to figure out how, like what tactics worked. I shouldn't have done it with my own page because now I don't even like to fucking post on the account anymore, but you know, you, you live and you learn. Your storytelling, you know, I think that's the beautiful thing is everybody has, you know, their own personality and the own way that they see the world. And so trying to come forward. And I think that's where I've just had a lifelong passion of content creation. It's like, how do you communicate what might be a really complex or foreign idea to this end person, whether it's your mom, your buddy, a boss? It's funny that you say that because that's like literally what most of my life has been in terms of like strategy stuff. Like I've always been good at mirroring it to something that's more digestible, that they're much more comfortable making a decision on and then like like leveling that up. For me, like from doing shows and stuff like that when I was young to like where I'm at now, like that's most of that, what that has been is like, is translation, right? Whether it's like helping brands communicate what they're doing to people. And like, again, like a lot of writing is also making shit like, you know how they say like the New York Times, like writes at like an eighth grade reading level. Like you gotta make, you gotta take complex situations and and make them digestible for people. Make it easier for them to understand because if they're gonna listen to someone be like lecture them, they're just gonna tune out. Well, especially in cannabis where you now have such a diverse customer base for better or worse, because of the way that it's rolling out, you do now have, you know, the affluential millennial who wants to drop money on the latest collab to the, you know, 55 plus person who's on XYZ medication and wants to try to look for plant-based alternatives. It's like, you have to help these people who are coming into this conversation. I mean, especially I think from a CBD perspective, again, kind of leaning on my own experience as a marijuana consumer, there was not a lot of education. You would go into the, you know, retail shops and you, weed is legal. You want to buy an eighth, you want to buy a candy, you know, what do you want to do now in CBD? I mean, even today in my retail shop, I'm having to explain to a woman, well, what's the difference between CBG and CBN? And well, why do you have a CBN with CBD? What does the ratio mean? And you now are introducing such a more diverse, set of conversations on top of just 
do you want to get high? Do you want to go to sleep? It's like, I think, you know, you, you are required now to some extent. I, you know, you acknowledge too, and I would agree not everybody's playing at that level. There are certainly people who want to just sell something because it's legal and someone wants to buy it. But I think the maturation of the industry is coming. Of Well, it's also because you've worked in other industries, you understand like concepts like niche marketing, right? Where like you can subsist and succeed off of just reaching one type of person. That's kind of what I mean about like what I was saying earlier about like these guys creating brand personas and like, you know, understanding like who their customer is. Because most of these guys think they're just selling to everybody. And like, that's good. And like, yes, you can do that. I don't want to like, like, like Kellogg sells to everybody, but you're not Kellogg's yet. And like, you have to understand who you're serving at a fundamental level. And like, once you get them, then you could figure out how you're going to add more people into that pot. But if you don't know who that base consumer is, what ends up happening is a lot of times you don't serve anyone very well. You just kind of like, exist until you don't right there's so much to learn there's so much space to grow and i think because everyone is looking at like oh we're trying to take the whole field some people are like hey we're trying to take the whole field whereas other people are looking at like a very small subsection of the stands thinking that they're like a much bigger portion of the field than they actually are and are trying to cater to them but um i think that like if people really started thinking like okay, we want to cater to this person and then figure out how X, Y, and Z are also going to fit into that. But as long as this person knows and loves us, we're doing what we're supposed to. Until you piecemeal things like that, you can't begin to see the big picture because brand affinity is not something that you can just buy in a series of ads. People are wasting gazillions of dollars right now with on customer acquisition that like, is essentially useless. That one sale is probably very adamantly anti-spending money with you for the, you know, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay, this was a super juicy episode. And so I want to keep this short because I wanted the meat of the listening time to be focused on my guests and what John was sharing. But with that said, as always, I just really hope these episodes are beneficial for y'all. I hope that you are critically listening and thinking through how to apply this information back to your own business. My hope and intention is, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. And this industry, like John identified, is, you know, whether you think it's just beginning or we're in the infant stages or we haven't quite gotten to the beginning just quite yet, you know, we're at the beginning in whatever term. And so let's learn. Let's understand. And then let's make decisions on how we want to move forward. And part of that is getting on the same page. And so I hope this gave you some food for thought. And with that, I'm out. I will see you guys on the next episode. Reminder, I release new episodes every Monday. Uh, You can also check out all the past episodes I've done. I have an incredible roster of previous guests. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. And with that, I'm out. Bye y'all. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.